Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each Thursday, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. Enjoy the show! Hey everyone, this is Gabe. This week we saw more terrific testimony from witnesses uh, to the Ohio House Health Committee against the six-week abortion ban. So for today's show, we're going to play some of the audio from the committee room of these great witnesses. First up, you're going to hear Dr. Anita Samani speak against Senate Bill 23. Um, I am a practicing OBGYN. I have been in Columbus for 26 years and did my training here um, at a Catholic uh, program that, believe it or not, 26 years ago had an affiliation with Planned Parenthood to allow for us to do contraceptive training. So as medical professionals, including practicing OBGYNs, medical students, and other health providers, we see firsthand the impact of political decisions on patients' health. Regardless of one's personal faith or moral code, it is completely untenable for the state of Ohio to criminalize physician behavior and to deny a medical procedure to patients that is both constitutional and consistent with a physician's professional medical standards of care. Currently in the state of Ohio, we are facing incredibly high maternal mortality rates. According to the Ohio Department of Health, the number of Ohio mothers dying directly from complications of pregnancy has reached 85 women per 100,000 live births. Denying women the right to choose to have an abortion in a physician-led environment would only result in an increase in this number. We've seen this across the country. We've seen this across the world. The more restrictions that are placed on abortion, the more it affects the, the, the risk to the mother in terms of death. Um, when you remove abortion restrictions, you allow greater access to medically safe abortions, and that results in a decrease in maternal mortality and reduces the rate of unsafe abortions. When we, when we talk to the idea of the fetus, a fetus cannot survive without the mother. And that's something that needs to be repeated over and over again. Viability is considered the ability to live outside of the mother. And that does not happen until 24 weeks. Um, as we have seen in Ohio, following the 20-week ban, abortion restrictions did not decrease the number of abortions taking place, but rather served to increase their number, along with it causing an increase in the number of maternal deaths. Legal accessible abortion is extremely safe. The mortality rate of abortion is 0.7, so less than one per 100,000. Contrast that to the mother's chance of dying during pregnancy, which is 20 to 30 per 100,000. America, if, you, if anyone has read the USA Today series, we are facing a crisis when it comes to maternal mortality. When you look at the um, discrepancies in ethnic groups, when you look at the, the fact that as a first world country, we have mortality rates approaching third world countries. This is not this is not coincidence. This is a result of abortion restrictions that are taking place across the country. Medically, the justification of the bill is unsound because merely seeing a fetal heartbeat does not in any way ensure a healthy outcome. At six weeks, the chances of a viable pregnancy going to term is about 78%. By eight weeks, that increases to 96%. A baby without lungs, a baby that has a diaphragmatic hernia, can have a heartbeat but still does not live. That baby will be born and die within a few days, within a few hours. 
A baby that has a heartbeat at six weeks does not have a brain, does not have kidneys, does not have lungs, does not have other organs which are, are important for survival of that baby outside the mother. So as a reference, I wanted to, um, and I would like to share some ultrasound pictures with you all, if that's okay, Chairman. In order to make the reference of a six-week fetus um, real, because for some reason, body parts are compared to food, I brought a jar of peas. Um, so, you know, you wonder, okay, what is a six-week fetus? You know, people talk about a six-week fetus with a heartbeat, and that fetus can survive. It has the ability to be viable. This is a six-week fetus. Just so everybody can see, a six-week fetus is the size of a pea, the size of a chocolate chip, the size of a pomegranate seed. This is not a viable fetus. This is not uh, a life that will survive outside the mother. Um, so even, you know, when you think about viability, when you listen to the proponents that spoke before me, this, this is not a fetus that will survive outside the mother. Um, it, a heartbeat does not ensure a healthy baby. Um, when we look at a fetus at six weeks, that's still four to five months away from viability. Viability is often determined by the care that is given to the mother. Um, even if the mother is aware she is pregnant, there are other concerns surrounding this time frame. One of the components of standard prenatal care is genetic testing. When, when we practice obstetrics and gynecology, we offer our patients the opportunity to have genetic testing. We offer them the opportunity to make decisions for themselves. I'm there as a counselor, as a guide, as somebody to give them the best advice available. I'm not there to impose my own standards or judgments on them. A law of this nature, a law that would ban abortion at six weeks, would leave families unable to obtain standard prenatal genetic or anatomic diagnosis. It would prevent their access to abortion care once that diagnosis is made. Oftentimes that Doctor, diagnosis five minutes. cannot be made till they are in the 18th to 20th week. So just to wrap up, um, I would like to say that if you want to decrease abortion rates in Ohio, do what's been proven to work around the world. Increase access to contraception at no or low cost to the patient. Improve access to doctors and health care. When you put the life of the fetus above the life of the mother, you hurt those women by devaluing their existence and the choices they should be able to make with their doctors. We are here to provide counseling and guidance. We are not here to mandate what a patient should do. Thank you. One woman from Cincinnati came forward to share her story of needing an abortion following medical complications. Chelsea McIntosh speaks before the Health Committee. My name is Chelsea McIntosh. I'm a citizen of Ohio and an opponent of Senate Bill 23. On a Tuesday in December 2018, I terminated a much-wanted pregnancy for medical reasons. I stand before you now asking you not to pass Senate Bill 23. This is my story. My husband and I were thrilled to learn that I was pregnant last year. I had miscarried my first pregnancy, and we were lucky enough to get pregnant again quickly. Our first few weeks went by smoothly. Around week 10, I started having some spotting. I was anxious, but was reassured by my medical team that the baby had a strong heartbeat. By week 14, I was still spotting. I became increasingly concerned. As we were unable to identify the cause, I asked to be referred to maternal fetal medicine 
and to do non-invasive prenatal testing in order to get more information. The specialist was able to get me in that day for an ultrasound. The sonographer spent an hour scanning me as she tried to get the baby to stretch out. I asked if it was normal for the baby to be that curled up, and the sonographer shook her head. Shortly afterwards, she left the room. The doctor returned with her quickly. She said that there was likely something wrong with the pregnancy, as the baby's head was so large and the body was very small. The baby was not growing like she should be. The placenta was abnormal, and there was almost no amniotic fluid. She probably had a genetic condition called triploidy, but we couldn't know for sure unless we did invasive testing. Triploidy is a condition where the baby has three copies of all of their chromosomes. It is always fatal. Many babies with triploidy are miscarried early on, and if they are carried to term, they are typically stillborn or die within their first hours of life. I may have read the words in my freshman anatomy and physiology course or in a high school biology textbook. I never thought that it was something that could happen to me. I decided to do chorionic villi sampling that day. The results of the test confirmed the diagnosis. I was told the longer I remain pregnant, the greater my risk for developing preeclampsia as well as choriocarcinoma, a rare cancer that can occur in abnormal pregnancies. I was told my options were to terminate the pregnancy or try to carry her to term, knowing that she would suffocate to death in her first minutes of life due to undeveloped lungs. I couldn't imagine going through the rest of my pregnancy, having strangers congratulate me, knowing that my baby would never come home. For me and my family, abortion was the only choice. For those of you who think that you would choose differently, that you would be the choose life hero in my story, be grateful that you will likely never be in my shoes. I have always been pro-choice, but never in my wildest dreams think that I would get an abortion. We went to the clinic accompanied by my parents who drove us past the protesters and up to the entrance. Even though I was exercising my constitutional right, I was made to feel like a criminal on the worst day of my life. I was given the required informational packet while signing in. The words on the front said that I had options, abortion, adoption, or parenting. I thought to myself, I don't think any adoptive parents are looking for a dead baby in parenting. Wow, what I wouldn't give to parent this baby to kiss her, hold her, support her, and love her for the rest of my life. That wasn't an option either. So I thought, abortion it is. She was my baby, and I loved her with the depth that only a mother can have for her child. I still chose abortion. I was making this choice out of love. I am so grateful that I had that choice. I realized that there is no hierarchy of reasons for seeking an abortion. A crisis pregnancy is a crisis pregnancy, and no woman or family should have that decision made for them by politicians. Neither I nor my child would have benefited from carrying her to term. That choice will be ripped away from the families of Ohio if Senate Bill 23 is passed, and that is why, even though it will not bring her back, I have to share my story. I am sharing for the other women who desperately want their babies, but cannot, for whatever reason, bring them into this world. I am sharing for the women who want to be mothers someday, but do not currently have the privilege of a stable family like me. 
I'm sharing for the victims of sexual assault whose pregnancies occurred under violent circumstances. I'm sharing for the cousin whose abortion you don't know about and might not have approved of, for the friend of a friend who had to drive to another state or borrow money just to get the health care they needed. I am sharing for my beloved daughter so that strangers trying to regulate my body can hear my voice loud and clear and know without doubt I was her mother and it was my choice. Next, Dr. Nan Wong will testify against Senate Bill 23. And members of the House Health Committee, I am Dr. Wong. I am currently a resident physician in OBGYN. I'm in my last year of training. Um, I have always hated the terms pro-life and pro-choice. I consider myself pro-life, but the life I fight for is the life of the woman, someone's mother, wife, sister, daughter. The term pro-choice makes it seem like I'm fighting for whether a woman can choose to have an abortion, like she chooses which shoes she wears, but in reality, I'm fighting for her life. Every pregnancy, as we've heard before, does increase a woman's risk of dying, and for women with pre-existing medical conditions, every pregnancy poses a risk to her life. For the woman with diabetes, a preg carrying a pregnancy to term means that she could go blind, be admitted to the ICU for diabetic, diabetic ketoacidosis, or lose consciousness from hypoglycemia, both of which can be life-threatening conditions for both mother and child. She also has a high risk of having preeclampsia, which could cause seizures, a life-altering stroke, as well as problems for her pregnancy and, um, and unborn child. For the woman with a history of um, heart problems or heart surgery, a pregnancy could cause her to go into heart failure or have a heart attack. Even healthy women have a risk of dying from their pregnancy due to massive hemorrhage, preeclampsia leading to seizures or stroke, overwhelming infection, blood clots, or postpartum depression. Women take these risks to have children, but what about the woman who choos chooses to survive to take care of her own children? Do we have to force her to put her life on the line? These are the issues I face every single day as an OBGYN. I am constantly thinking about the consequences of surgery and pregnancy and balance how to best advise my patient regarding these risks as well as respecting her own autonomy as well as her own decisions. Medicine is not a black and white field and it is always changing and that is why that I believe medical decisions cannot be dictated from the state house. The last time you know, I attended a testimony as well as today, there is a case that the definition of viability changes with advancing medical technology, and thus a heartbeat should be the limit in which an abortion uh, should be performed. But a change from viability to a heartbeat is a huge leap um, for the patient. A heartbeat can be detected one to two weeks after a uh, after a woman misses her period, um, where most women don't even know that she they are pregnant, compared to the current viability terms, which would be four months later. I would argue that this is an ex excellent example of why this issue should be left out of the laws and decisions should be made in the doctor's office. A detailed, individualized conversation between the patient and the doctor can include all the different personalized risks of each, uh, of each option. Laws are inflexible and do not accommodate for all situations and nuances of the medical field. They do not accommodate for the fast-changing new advances and cannot dictate which solution is best for each individual person. 
I am asking that this conversation be moved out of the state house and courtroom and back into the physician's office or hospital. There is no other aspect of medicine that is as hotly debated or as regulated as abortion. I will not pretend to know all the laws surrounding abortion. That is not my area of expertise. I only know enough to ensure that I do not go to prison. I do entrust that my elected officials help to keep me and my family safe, but I will also ask that you extend me the same professional courtesy and do not insert the laws into my practice or dictate the right decision for each one of my individual patients. Um, I wanted to leave you with a harrowing possibility if this law were to pass successfully. Um, let's say Mary, a 32-year-old mother of three beautiful children, finds out that she is pregnant. Initially, she is overjoyed at the possibility of another child, but she quickly remembers what happened during her last pregnancy. She had postpartum cardiomyopathy shortly after she delivered. Initially, it started out with some shortness of breath, but when she got to the hospital, she, quickly, she was quickly moved to the ICU and diagnosed with heart failure. She was started on several medications, and she was so weak she could hardly get out of bed. She is now able to take care of her children, but she still has difficulty keeping up, getting short of breath just walking across her room. The doctors told her another pregnancy would be life-threatening, and she realized that she needed to stay healthy and alive for her other children. Unfortunately, she is unable to have a safe legal abortion in Ohio if this law were to pass, as she just missed her period, but there is a heartbeat. Having no other options, she continues her pregnancy. Three months later, she is 20 weeks. The pregnancy is still not viable, but she gets swelling and is unable to breathe. Now deemed an emergency, she is able to get an abortion, but her heart never fully recovers given the strain from this pregnancy. It is for patients like Mary and all other women I treat on a daily basis that I urge you to vote no on SB 23. Medicine should be practiced by experienced providers, not politicians. There were many clergy present during the committee hearing. Reverend Al Deblack is a friend of ours and a NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio board member. He was one of the clergy who spoke to the committee. Uh, I presently serve as an interim Lutheran pastor in Columbus, Ohio. I also serve as a volunteer escort at the Planned Parenthood Clinic in the east side of Columbus. And I sit on the board of NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio. I'm here to voice opposition to Senate Bill 23, or House Bill 23. I understand that you have more than enough testimony to have your minds made up by now. In fact, many may would, would even argue that the no testimony was really necessary. This bill was and is a done deal. And yet, I'm here. When I'm not pastoring or volunteering, my wife has me reading mystery novels so that I'm not merely reading theology. Mystery novels have a way of pulling me in, helping me see and hear themes beneath and behind the scenes. For example, when my family lived in Detroit, some of the older girls in the neighborhood would walk up and down the street with my then three-year-old daughter. I found out that they were teaching her how to walk and how to watch and how to see that which was not so obvious around her, that which could simply turn into a frightening situation maybe even a death experience. From my time as a clinic escort, I often write and speak about the people at the fence. They come bearing religious language, using religious images, making religious types of judgment, in attempt to cast a pall of shame on those who dare to enter into the clinic. As escorts, we remain silent, speaking only to those entering and leaving the clinic in an attempt to shield them from the shameful remarks of protesters. 
Their condemning comments are a form of violence that sees the world in only one way and will thus demand that all other people see it in the same way or suffer consequences. We have allowed the disease of stigmatization to fester and guide us. Just this last week, after the terrorist activity in Christchurch, New Zealand, I received on my Facebook page two vile images. One was a, a cobra, and on the head was Representative Ihan Omar. The other was a video defiling Islam to the tune of John Lennon's Imagine. <laughs> Imagine that. The opening line, Imagine There Is No Muslims, was the least offensive. Yet I find that line utterly disgusting. And yet, how well it works to make others look deplorable and offensive and a blight upon us that some think must end simply because they do not practice our beliefs. I know this is not a religious body. But when I follow the wisdom of that small group of girls who taught my daughter how to walk down the street in Detroit, when I take another look at the characters in a good mystery novel whose true colors become more fully revealed as the story goes on, I see something going on here in these hallowed institutional halls that betrays the people of Ohio. I have been calling it a conspiracy of tyranny. Its stage is much larger than our state. One need only look at how well orchestrated various state houses have been able to pull off the same strings to shame women and doctors and nurses who choose to make life decisions differently than others. When this takes place, the character of those who feel compelled to take away the rights of women moves from one of service, seeking the welfare of all, to one willing to commit violence through stigma and denigration and the imposition of a patriarchy that betrays the well-being of we the people. Throughout these hearings on House Bill 23, I have listened to many opinions about viability of a fetus. Even though the fetus in these halls is often considered or given the status of a baby, a person, a child, fully human, I consider viability to be something that should be left for consideration between a woman and her doctor and her family. This is not the place to decide that. I firmly with uphold that the women who walk into clinics to learn and discuss and take action to terminate a pregnancy do that with an intense and intimate understanding of the viability of life and the possibility of new life, including their own, their families, and the character that they will be tomorrow, as tomorrow becomes today. Please do not think that we the people do not see the forces at play behind the actions of this body. Please do not think that we the people are naive to the harm that may take place in, with, and under the common appearance of this place. We can read between the lines that reveal one's true character, and we are able to walk with eyes wide open. I urge you to vote no on House Bill 23. Friend of the podcast and Women Have Options Ohio Executive Director Stephanie Craddock Sherwood testified before the committee. She's going to be the last witness that we hear on today's show. My name is Stephanie Craddock Sherwood, and I'm the Executive Director of Women Have Options Ohio. We are Ohio's abortion fund. 
I'm here to testify on behalf of the tens of thousands of women and those seeking abortion care whose reproductive health care we have helped pay for and to share how devastating this bill will be for pregnant folks in Ohio. I would paint you a picture of who we serve, but no two stories are alike. They come from all corners of the state. They are folks you represent. What they all have in common, though, is that they need access to safe and legal abortion, and they don't have access to it. They need help. These are mostly mothers who are struggling to raise the children they have. There are many who share their stories of recent job losses, homelessness, or how they're leaving an abusive partner. We hear the stories of many who are trying to recover from drug addiction and need a new start. Many have health issues that prevent them from having a healthy pregnancy. Plain and simple, abortion bans are dangerous, out of touch with the real lived lives and experiences of these folks. And this bill won't change the need for abortion access. It just works to set up roadblocks to those who need it most. The people we serve won't stop choosing to have abortions just because it's illegal. Much like women from Ireland recently had to travel to England to terminate their pregnancies because of prohibitive abortion laws or Meg having to travel all the way to Colorado, Ohioans will be forced to travel to other states to terminate their pregnancies by potentially or by or will terminate their pregnancies by potentially unsafe means and they will. Our mission is to ensure that abortion is not just theoretically possible but actually and practically accessible no matter how much money people have. People will continue to seek abortions just as they did before 1973. The financially secure will always have access to the resources necessary to exercise their reproductive choices. But for the poor, every additional hurdle comes with a higher price tag and this ban demonstrates a shocking disconnect from the everyday obstacles that disproportionately affect people of color, people with low incomes, and people in rural areas. Based on the calls for help we get, we know firsthand the panic patients experience and the hustle they have to engage in to access the care they need. Having to make two appointments to the clinic, gathering the required money, possibly having to dip into meager savings. For most, exercising their right to abortion care means arrangements for child care, taking time off of school or work, and putting off paying bills or buying fewer groceries to afford the additional expenses like travel and that is after they make their appointment at the clinic. And it can sometimes take weeks to get in. Again, out of touch with the reality of Ohioans seeking abortion care. In closing, many of those likely to be impacted by this ban are already facing challenging circumstances, and targeting abortion access is particularly harmful, especially for those who need it most. We do this work because we believe that people should be able to access abortion no matter their race, socioeconomic status, age, gender identity, or where they live. Every year, hundreds of folks come to uh, contact women have options seeking help for their abortion, and they tell us their stories of their hopes and dreams. They tell us about their families, or families they hope to have one day. Their abortion helps them stay in school, care for their families, and live their best lives. On behalf of these Ohioans, I urge the committee to vote against this bill. In all, 40 witnesses presented nearly six hours of testimony before the committee, which will likely vote next week. We expect a vote on the full House floor, likely April 3rd or April 10th. For more information, visit ProChoiceOhio.org to take action. Uh, and check out our Facebook page, which has all of our upcoming events, including our April 10th Lobby Day. We'll see everybody next week. Bye.